There is nothing I love more than an amazing meal with high quality meat cooked at home because let's be honest, eating out is so expensive. And you also know that eating out is the number one budget buster. That is why I am so glad I found ButcherBox. ButcherBox is a premium meat subscription service dedicated to delivering high quality, grass fed and grass finished beef, organic chicken, pork raised crate free and wild caught seafood directly to your doorstep with free shipping always. You even get exclusive member deals, recipes, and a variety of high-quality cuts at an amazing price. New users will receive their choice of two pounds of ground beef, three pounds of chicken thighs, or one pound of premium steak tips for a year. Use code ETM and get $20 off your first box at ButcherBox.com. Last night, we made a beef stew with meat from ButcherBox, and you can taste the difference. It was so satisfying and delicious. And all of our friends that were over for a dinner party, they raved at how good it was. So do yourself a favor and eat better this year with the best meat and seafood on the planet delivered to your door. ButcherBox is offering my listeners their choice of a weeknight meal essential, three pounds of chicken thighs, two pounds of ground beef, or one pound of premium steak tips, for free in every order for a year. Plus, get $20 off your first order. Sign up today at butcherbox.com etm and use code etm to choose your free offer and get $20 off. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I was paying for vacations all wrong. (laughs) I was missing out on miles. I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? I don't know, maybe that fancy hotel upgrade that you have always been dreaming about. Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Hey, I'm Shauna Compton Game. This is Millennial Money, and today we're talking food, farm, and brews in Mount Hood territory. Millennial Money with Shauna Compton Game. It will expand your brain. This week on Travel Tuesday, we're heading back to Mount Hood for part two of our conversations. And this week, we're going to talk about the food, the farms, and some brews in this episode. So for this trip to Mount Hood territory, we wanted to feature some of the self-sustaining and truly amazing food options that are all around the region. I mean, this is a place you're not going to go and see a lot of chain restaurants. You're just going to see some really good, authentic, really great places to eat. Um, And it's also just an area that how farmers and chefs and locals, they're really coming together to make a, they're creating a healthier and delicious community. And, And also just showcasing here in this episode, why Oregon is likely the best place in the world to brew beer for any beer maker. This is truly one of the, the, the meccas of, of, uh, beer making. 
So recently also, Sean and I actually wrote for the Huffington Post uh, an article about Mount Hood territory, and we wrote an article about the 18 things you need to do before you've saved you have experienced Mount Hood territory. So check out that link to that article. And that talks about so many other places that we really loved up there. So I hope you check that out. Uh, also, if you caught our last episode about Mount Hood territory, uh, we left links to places really, really loved up there, such as Oregon City Brewing Company, uh, Trail Distilling, Beckham Estate Vineyard and Mount Hood Tiny House Village. We mentioned those in uh, some of those in the last episode. So go to our website and you could actually check out the links to that. This week, we actually wanted to give a shout out to a few others in the Mount Hood territory, like Feckin Brewery, uh, this, which is a really great uh, Irish blended craft beer brewery uh, owned by uh, Irish immigrants as well, too. Um, I had a lot of fun when I checked them out. Uh, Portland Cider Company. This is a really great cider company. They have a tasting room uh, in the Mount Hood Territory as well as in Portland. Um, they also have this really uh, great uh, give back component too that they give to uh, a local charity as well too. So you should check that out. That's actually a link on our Huffington Post. Uh, we'll actually have that on our website as well. And then two other places we're actually going to talk to this week, and we, we actually mentioned uh, them last week, our table cooperative and the Cascade Dining Room, which is just this amazing place uh, to go eat uh, at the Timberland Lodge. So we're actually going to we're going to feature those and talk to them. If you want more information about Mount Hood Territory, go to mounthoodterritory.com. They have all kinds of things where to where to stay, where to eat, and of course all the really cool things to do uh, in the area. So check that out at mounthoodterritory.com. Since we are talking about all things Mount Hood territory in this part two episode, I wanted to feature another Oregon-based band, the Decemberists. So that was a song you just heard with their hit, Make You Better. I really love that album. I think it was their last album. Uh, so we can go ahead and get started in this episode. Um, first up, beef is certainly what's for dinner. Uh, and executive chef Jason Stoller-Smith is all about the meat with his newly launched gate-to-plate menu at the amazing Cascade Dining Room at the Timberland Lodge. And actually, they feature their gate-to-plate um, beef program in uh, many of the restaurants. Uh, but I actually dined at the Cascade Dining Room, and it's truly one of the best meals I've ever had. I had this amazing 14-ounce, uh, I believe it was like 14-ounce uh, ribeye that was just to die for with so many other things as well, too. The service is just awesome up there. Um, they're really cool people. Uh, so I highly recommend when you ever get to uh, Mount Hood itself, which is located at the base of Mount Hood, that's where the Timberland Lodge is. And, fun fact, and you'll find out in this interview, that the outside shots of the uh, opening shots of The Shining, the 1980 Jack Nicholson movie, was actually shot there. So there you go. That's why I look familiar when I pulled up and I didn't not do any research. I was like, wait, this place looks familiar. So uh, Chef 
Jason Stoller Smith. He's actually going to talk about his, how he partnered with a local rancher uh, and his Timberland team, and they bought 52 cows that are born and raised humanely without growth hormones for their propriety beef program. I just came back from visiting one of your uh, restaurants, the Cascade Dining Room at the Timberland Lodge uh, in Mount Hood, uh, which is an absolutely amazing meal. Uh, what are what other restaurants do you are you the executive chef for? Uh, well, I have seven restaurants under our umbrella currently, and we, and then we have an entire uh, um, event center, uh, so we can have the capability of having five different banquets going on at the same time on the mountain. So we have uh, so it's about twelve different things going on at any one time. Right, and and all the restaurants are are a little bit different. Uh, tell us a little bit about some of the restaurants. Sure, we have we have the Cascade Dining Room. That's the uh, uh, it's the formal dining room of the lodge. It's always intended to be the uh, the dining room um, uh, for the Timberline Lodge. And then we have the Ramshead Bar, uh, which does a, a single a la carte menu uh, seven days a week um, at lunchtime and and at dinner time. We have a Blue Ox Bar on our lower level of the historic lodge, and it's uh, a pizza restaurant that's typically only open during the height of the season in the winter time and in the summertime. Um, and a lot of weekends scattered throughout the season. It's a, our smallest restaurant. It only has about 18 seats. Uh, and our day lodge across the street from the historic hotel is the Weiss Cafe, um, which is kind of the, uh, the ski resort um, customer-based restaurant, um, mm-hmm. as well as its sister, it's a, as its component, the Y-Bar, um, that's right. right next to it. So those right. are open and, uh, year-round. And, you, and you, you, we were just talking earlier that it's actually so – it's April and it's still snowing up there. Uh, but you guys are yeah. transitioning into your summer uh, deal coming up. Yeah, we're transitioning in the summer and we ski in the summertime. The uh, right. national ski team is up here training this summer. Um, we, we shut down probably around in September, and then waiting for snow to come back uh, a little right. more heavily. So, but we're skiing full on up on Palmer Glacier all summer long. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Financial anxiety, anyone? Yeah. You're not alone, but worrying about it, it doesn't help. Earnin does. Earnin is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work up to $100 per day or up to $750 per pay period. You just download the Earnin app and verify your paycheck. Then you can access up to $100 per day as you work and leave an additional tip. Any money you access plus tips are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. So, how would you spend the money you get from Earnin? Well, Honestly, my hubby and I have been feeling a little bit disconnected lately. That's what happens after you've been together about 12 years. So I would spend the money on a special date night with dinner and maybe bowling, you know, to bring back some of that giggly excitement that we both felt at the beginning. Make Earnin a part of your financial routine and join Earnin's over three and a half million customers who say things like, when I think about Earnin, I think about financial stability, security, gives me a lot of peace of mind. Download Earnin today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earnin app, type in Talkin, T-A-L-K-A-N, money under podcast when you sign up. It will really help the show. Talkin money under podcast.
Subject to your available earnings, location, daily max, and pay period max. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank & Trust, member FDIC. Listen, if you've been using Mint to manage your money, I have got some news for you. First, the bad news. As you might know, Mint is shutting down for good. But the good news? Well, there is a way better alternative that is a personal favorite of mine, Monarch Money. And I'm not the only lover of Monarch Money. Many Mint users are turning to Monarch Money and just raving about it. I used to manage my money with an Excel spreadsheet. I know, so archaic. And it was so time-consuming. I tried all of the apps, but I just didn't find one I liked until I found Monarch. And I've got to tell you a secret. Monarch is so easy to use with a very intuitive design. You can even collaborate with your partner and you can customize Monarch for whatever your needs are. Monarch is the top rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com etm. Let's go back to the collaboration bit. Because we know money is a leading cause of divorce and breakups, Monarch has built-in collaboration features so you can invite your partner at no extra cost. You can see all your finances, make a budget together, get insights on your cash. Yes, cue the confetti. There will literally not be any more arguments over money. And if you've been frustrated with personal finance apps that are cluttered with ads, difficult to use, or rarely updated, so was Monarch. They built a new kind of personal finance app that's intuitive and powerful ad-free, and constantly improving based on customer feedback. Monarch has a tool that allows you as well to easily import your data from Mint. You can keep all of your tags and all of your categories. After trying Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com etm. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com etm for your extended 30-day free trial. Is this year a typical or a, a non-typical year for that you're getting a ton of snow up there? No, it's kind of average, to tell you the truth. Yeah. The, uh, yeah. uh, you, know, in, you know, once you start getting into this, we are at such a higher elevation that our snow loads are just massive in general. So whether it's, you know, a measure 100 inches or so, it's still it's just what it is. That right. sense, you know, is, is <laughs> what becomes extraordinary is when we have light snow years. And those, but those are few and far between. So, right, right. Well, one of the biggest reasons uh, that my meal was so amazing at your restaurant, uh, you, you have this interesting program that you started last year. Uh, tell us about the gate to plate program at the Timberline. Sure, we got uh, we I got together with a rancher from East, Eastern Oregon named Keith Nance, um, and together we launched his uh, beef program together. It's called Deschutes River Beef, and and we're we're the at this point the sole consumers of this, this product that he's raising out here for us. It's, I mean, he's raising uh, about at any one time he has about 52 heads of cattle that he's raising for us. And uh, it grazes about 45 minutes east of the lodge. We can almost see it from my office window. The, uh, and it's a balancer breed of cattle, uh, Gelvy and Black Angus breed. And they graze on a, a cocktail of grasses and flowers and vegetables out there. That's very natural and, uh, and good for the environment. And, you know, his, his whole ethos is that he starts with soil health on his farmland and mm-hmm. pastures the, and raises the cattle on his farmland. So as, as long as the ground's healthy, the plants are healthy, then the cow's healthy, and it makes for good steaks on the dinner menu. So, and, and you uh, guys are actually, uh, you, you, sorry, you guys are actually using the whole cow as well, too, right? 
Yeah, we after the cows are ready, we dry age them for 21 days um, at a local butcher shop, about a half hour on the west to the west of us, and then we get the whole animal carcasses um, delivered to the lodge where our butchers that are on staff here break them down to all the different cuts, and then they get distributed throughout all the restaurants. Right. And Most of the what what the why did you kind of why did you want to start a program like this why why did you think it was important? Well, it's important. Uh, you know, I've always as a chef in the Pacific Northwest, um, coming up on about twenty years here. Mm-hmm. I've always cooked seasonally and tried to uh, procure all my products locally because um, I've always felt that you know, the, uh, keeping in touch with the producers, you end up working with better products. And when you're buying seasonally you're buying stuff at the height of their season. And so that, that mantra has always rang true with me. And so um, with cattle, I've never had the opportunity to really take it to that level because it's just a massive amount of product that you end up having to work with. Uh, so when you're working at smaller restaurants, that can be unrealistic. But at Timberline, with the fact that we have all these seven different restaurants that all have different intricacies of them, mm-hmm. it will kind of all of a sudden could these puzzle pieces start putting together in my mind while I was working with Keith, uh, the rancher, to say, yeah, we can have this cut in this restaurant, we can have this cut in this restaurant, um, and then we end up having a nice program where we're utilizing the every part of the animal and having great utilization and being able to offer a, a great product without having to raise our prices necessarily. Mm. And, and tell us about your ranching partners and what they bring to the table. Uh, experience um, and a, just a, a really progressive program that focuses on soil health first. I come from a wine production background. Mm-hmm. I've worked in Oregon's wine country for a long time. Mm-hmm. And when you get to know winemakers, you know, they regard themselves as, as farmers primarily, even though they're making a high-end, you know, leisure uh, product. Mm-hmm. Um, but they always talk about it's the soil health is what makes great wine. And when you know, I met with these ranchers, you know, they spoke the same way. Um, they're, you know, they weren't just trying to turn a product to um, make money very quickly. They wanted to make something that's of the highest quality that they can possibly get to, and it mm-hmm. starts with what's going on underneath the ground, underneath their feet, and because it's going to translate into the product when you finally get to that end result. Mm-hmm. And so when you're thinking progressively like that, that that's what attracts me to people like that. Right. Well, and also too that you being that you guys are from Oregon, this almost sounds like it could be like a Portlandia episode of like where your 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 meal actually came from. But I think that's also very important these days to people too. Sure, absolutely. It, it does become a little bit cliche for you know for, <laughs> for chefs especially because yeah. this is just what people do. Yeah. You know, I don't say that. No, <clears throat> don't sit there. I don't need to sit there and scream that we're local and sustainable and, and we buy seasonally because that's what everybody should be doing. And, then, yeah. and especially, you know, with, with people that are cooking and really paying attention to what they're doing, they do that naturally. You know, right. So it's just about, it, you know, otherwise you're you're not going to be working with great products. Right. And it seemed like you, your your staff was really knowledgeable about about the, the products and, and different things too. Uh, tell us what the reaction of your staff has has been since you guys uh, implemented this program. Well, well, Jeff, we're we're proud of it. You know, it's easier on all regards for everybody from a service staff, from the cooks in the kitchen, from purchasing to everybody to just buy from one store and just do things very simply and from a large production standpoint. But when you're working with smaller people 
it's not as easy, but the quality is there. When you're quality driven, people become proud of that, and you know, and it rings true to down to all of our staff. Right. Then I think that's what you experience in the restaurant, a service staff that is proud of what we are doing as a team, and it's a team effort. Right. Well, and you mentioned too before about about uh, it not raising your prices and stuff like that. Is a program like this uh, more expensive at all, or is it is it around the same? Is it less expensive? That's what I'm getting at. With a, it's yeah. a, it's an economic it's an economic sustainability where you're passing on a savings to a customer for a product that if we were to buy that from a um, from a producer where it had to go through a bunch of middlemen in the process would cost twice as much money as per pound as what we're paying for it basically. Yeah. Because we're doing all of this stuff ourselves between between just a few of us. I mean literally there's three people that are touching this product before you right. eat it. And it's right. it's just so unique. People that that there's not that opportunity isn't there. So when we're looking at it, we look at the price on them we're like, okay, well you know, if we were gonna buy this, this would be like a Kobe beef product, although it's not mm-hmm. Kobe beef, that's all I'm saying. Yeah. But it's it, yeah, it yeah. would be a more more expensive but we don't it's a stretch for us to actually think about what it would actually cost under a program like that because it's not hasn't been done. Right. Right. And what what are the what is the long term benefits in creating something like this that you think of? Long term benefit I mean um there's a lot of different aspects, I guess. You know, the we're helping to create a culture with this uh rancher. Um, with different ranching people in the ranching community, that there is options to how they're producing their their product. That not all of us as consumers are interested in just turning and burning and having the cheapest product that there is. That they can actually uh, work at uh, creating a product, and there's a niche for that market. Uh, we're helping with uh, with customers to see that there that there's somebody that can do a program like this. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're also impacting. Smaller things. I'm, one of the things that I'm really proud of about the program is that we have our ground beef in our ski caf- cafeteria. Mm-hmm. You know, so you know, our ski resort is very family friendly. We, mm-hmm. uh, we have thousands of children up here uh, on a weekly basis, and you know, I have three kids of my own, mm-hmm. and so you know, what we're putting into um, our food for that children are going to be consuming, it's very important to me. And so, you know, when we're looking at a, a beef like this. I know with confidence that there's probably not a lot of ski resorts that have a burger that's been treated this way. Right, right. Exactly. Uh, so you're passing that on to the, the children that are growing up and learning how to ski and living on this mountain, you know, so. Right, right. What what have you noticed uh, the reactions of, of your customers uh, with the program? The, you know, the first time I tasted the steak, you know, it was like we were already well on our way with this program, so it was really a leap of faith. Um, you know, because it does take time to raise these animals out. But, you know, this this flavor kept lingering on my palate, and I, it really equated it to, like, a wine where it kind of changes and stays there, and you really kind of focus on that. And I'm like, yeah, this beef is really good. But it's until the customers are really providing feedback with it that you really kind of get a concrete in your head. And so so far with our program, and we're, you know, nine months into the this partnership um, as far as having the animals ready to go, and it's been nothing but just positive feedback from the customer standpoint. So from our steaks to our hamburgers um, to our roast on the lunch buffet and our braised cuts up in the ram's head. Mm. How did you get into, into cooking, and, and are you from the Pacific Northwest? 
Um, well, my, my father was in the military, so we moved every three years of my okay. life. But I spent the majority of my life in, in the Northwest. I moved to Oregon um, for good when I was 21 years old. So for about 25 years ago, and that's when I moved to really get into cooking. My parents were, you know, of that genre um, in the 80s of watching the frugal gourmet and the beginning of cooking shows on television. Right, right, right. And it kind right. of got, got sparked my interest in the whole thing. And then when I started, you know, turned 16 to look for a job, it was a natural for me to get into the kitchen and, you know, started off as a dishwasher and then started watching the guys that were cooking and really got into that whole thing. And so it just, it's the only thing I've ever done. Hmm. All right. Well, why why is Oregon and Mount Hood such a uh, uh, Mount Hood territory? Why is that such a great place for uh, local ingredients? Uh, well, it, it kind of straddles a couple different areas. The uh, we have the Willamette Valley that's you know uh, obviously just very fertile. It has a lot of soils that were deposited there during the Missoula floods, um, from when the, a lot of uh, glacial floodwaters came down and just poured nutrient soils all over that valley. Um, in the Columbia Valley right in there. So we have that element. But then I also have on the east side of the mountain range um, all the hot water things that are growing over there. You know, so it, it's kind of like I have access to both of these these worlds in the, as far as Oregon goes and Oregon products go. And then I have Hood River where is the, the fruit loop. You know, I have all these fruits, amazing fruits that are produced in Hood River from cherries and apples and pears and um, that's right there. So it's really kind of nestled in the middle of everything. Right, right. What uh, do you have any other plans uh, of, of other programs such such as the Gate to Plate as well down down the road, or since this is kind of has has been successful? Yeah, I'm hoping to get. We're hoping to uh, branch out into pigs. We're looking into mm. expanding the property on the east, mm. um, and then getting uh, and then working with pigs. And we're trying to develop a pig that is a pasture pig mm. uh, that will help forage on these grasses. So basically, uh, a grass-fed pig, for lack of a better term. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Uh, well, one of the things that I loved about going up there to Timberline Lodge, and I did not do any research in this, and it was a, a snowy day. I could not see the mountain. I pull up, and I went, wait, why does this uh, hotel look so familiar? Um, and then I, I saw inside that it's actually part of The Shining in, in The Shining movie and stuff like that. So what is it like working in The Shining Hotel? <laughs> you know, it, it, for, for us, it's always a bit of an afterthought. It, you know, right. people—they're everybody's very drawn to that movie, obviously. But it's just the outside shot that yeah, we just yeah, done by the beginning shot. of the movie. For, for us, that works here. There's so much more history mm-hmm. to this place that's meaningful to us and to Oregonians. That the uh, shining movie, the wall—that's great. That it, it, it has so much attention to the whole thing. For right. us, the spirit of the uh, people that built this place and to take care of it means a lot more to us. Next up, we continue our conversation with founder of Our Table Cooperative, Narinda Varma, as he tells us about his 58 acres of certified organic farmland and how it's making an impact with their local community and chefs around the area. So what was your thinking about why did you why did you start that and when did you start this? So I uh, started this in 2011 is when we bought the farm. The cooperative itself started in 2013. Um, really, the impetus was um, kind of uh, coming to a realization that what we put in our bodies has a huge impact on our overall well-being and health. Um, it's sort of an obvious uh, statement, but I think our culture has become very disassociated from that. Uh, we tend to kind of uh, treat 
our, our sicknesses and, and healthcare woes as symptoms of something else and, and have no relationship with what we're eating. Um, so I think that that's a big part of it, health and nutrition, um, not only for people, but also for land and animals. Um, and, and also sort of the economic aspects of it are something that were very uh, near and dear to my heart. Um, I come from a high-tech background, from sort of a more systems thinking kind of approach. And I realized that the food system as a system had a great many problems um, and issues that really, um, you know, affect us in very deep ways throughout the, throughout our daily lives and our culture. Um, so looking at those kinds of problems in a systemic way, whether you're talking about how people are treated, how land is treated, how goods and services move, you know, in our economy, the, the whole idea of local economy, it's become a bit of a buzzword, but what does it really mean? Right. You know, um, so all of those kinds of questions were what drew me to this personally. Um, obviously, once we started getting more people hired on and on board and part Part of our team, then their own their creative energies and ideas were were thrown into the mix and all mixed up into this big pot, right. um, and and you know the result of that I think is is very exciting. Right, and that it really is a cooperative. Yes, Everyone absolutely. Sort of yes, in and, yeah. And does and, and, and including ideas and stuff. Yes, absolutely. In fact, we uh, what one of the things that sets us apart as a cooperative and as an organization is that our ultimate mission is trying to figure out. How do we give communities ownership of their food? Mm. You know, and that means taking ownership and responsibility for your own f- buying and eating choices. You know, do your kids only eat white food because you didn't give them anything else? Right. Or, you know, were they just fussy? I mean, I, I have a fussy kid, so right. I understand that that's <laughs> tough. Um, but, you know, it, it's also your, um, the, the economy that you're supporting and that you're a part of, not just as a consumer, but also as a producer. Mm-hmm. You know, um, people don't cook as much anymore. Um, all of those things, you know, this sort of cultural trends, I think, uh, work against local agriculture. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, everybody seems to have a huge hankering to make a connection yeah. with the food, with the land, you know, right. with animals. I mean, all of these things, right. we have a huge connection and a desire for that connection. Right. So I, I think there's, there's, a, there's a broader cultural trend here that right. we are simply a part well, of. Well, I also think, too, just as a travel journalist, too, like mm-hmm. you want to, when you travel places, people also want to be connected to that local community. or and Oh, local, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, anytime you travel, food is a huge part of it. Like, you know, if you go to New Orleans, you really want to eat the local crawfish because that's what's special about the place. And and food and culture and community really are are very, very closely tied. You cannot separate them. I mean, our tagline is community through food for a reason. So, uh, you know, anytime I travel, I'm always trying to find the local spot where I can have the local cuisine and meet local people. And and that that is very much at the essence of what we do here. Right. And how many farmers do you actually have on the property then? So we have um, 16 to 20 people working at any one time, uh, depending on the season. Of those, about um, 11 or 12 are farmers. Uh, the remainder are folks working in the store and in the kitchen and then things like bookkeeping and delivery and, you know, management and stuff like that. Right, right. And other than the, cl- the classes, you have classes and mm-hmm. the dinners mm-hmm. and stuff. You have classes with ki- kids. When I walked in, they're, they're doing Right. That. So we do have a, a nonprofit arm that, that runs a bunch of uh, educational programs. We work with local school districts. They come out not only for sort of things like field trips, but also um, we run camps that are a lengthier, week-long kind of affairs. And then we are currently working with some of the local elementary schools um, to kind of get the, the farm and farm-based education integrated into their science curriculum so that they can come out multiple times in the year and really see the progression of plants and animals and, and uh, you know, all the way from seed to 
the, the, their own bellies. You know, right. the, the whole idea is that they need to eat the food. Um, I don't know if you noticed, but the kids in the camp right now were making some salad dressing, right. and because they made the salad dressing, they were gonna they were all eating salad, which right. probably if mom and dad had given them, they would not have tried. You know, right. and the, and some of that this time of year, some of those greens are relatively bitter. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just all Rome, uh, iceberg lettuce. Right, right. Um, you know, so so it's 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 a pretty sophisticated thing that they're eating there with yeah. a vinaigrette that they made. Uh, and that just the pride in having done it, I think, is right. what allows them to you know to be adventurous uh, and try it out. Right, right. Know? And you guys also have a, a subscription base too, right? Where you can right. We do have a CSA program, uh, essentially a, a prepaid box of of food that is delivered to a location near you. Could be your own home if you're a site host, <laughs> or to sometimes we deliver to businesses as well. Um, but the idea there is that you are subscribing to a box of veggies, so a share of the harvest, um, and then and fruit, and then you can also add on meat and eggs and grain and you know milk and all of your sort of staples, all sourced from our co-op, right. um, you know that that are then conveniently delivered. So a little bit of that kind of delivery convenience that people like a lot. Right. So some of your partners that you have with with your beer and wine and mm-hmm. whatnot, and what are you looking for them? To, to, to be a part like, like to put your stamp on it so we have a very strong sense of standards we have a, a, a sort of a collective brand uh, that we call certified local food we go through a year-long process with our partners uh, where it's sort of a mutual vetting I call it a dating period you know we're really trying to say uh, should we get married or not right, right. Um, and and just like with the real th- marriage uh, you know you you want to be cautious and careful right, right. Um, and um, it, it's really about not only the quality of the product that they're producing but also the way they treat the land they treat their animals, they treat their people, all of those things play into it. And what we're really saying to our customers that is, uh, is that if you see this seal of approval, it's as good as if we had grown it ourselves. So yeah. you can, uh, and, and, you know, consumers are part of our co-op as well. So the whole idea is that all the producers and consumers of food in the community are co-owners of this thing right. and have governance rights, share in the profits and the losses, and have a real stake in it, mm. you know. Right, right. And so people could actually come out here you know, and and then they come out and they can actually have a lunch, a nice lunch, have a glass of wine and and mm-hmm. relax and stuff like that. Right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we insert certainly in, at this time of year, of course, uh, because of the rain, we have tables indoors. But uh, in the summertime, we spread out. We have picnic tables, umbrellas, yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. And it's a really pleasant place to come and and enjoy some deli food and and uh, have a drink and right. you know walk around the farm and things right. like that. Right. Is this a kind of thing that you guys have? Is this something that is being developed more around the Oregon area? I think there's uh, more and more people going this route yeah. where there's sort of uh, there's this merger between production agriculture um, and a little bit of sort of tourism because people really don't just want to buy local organic food from their farmer's market. They want to actually go to the farm. They want that kind of country or farm experience, especially urban people, you know, living in a concrete jungle. That's, it's really pretty nice. It's a getaway, too. So I think people want to make deeper connections. And that's something that's been relatively common in, in many European countries for a long mm-hmm. time. But in this country, we've sort of tended to say that, you know, farms are like little industrial factories and you're not allowed anywhere near them because they're right. dangerous or something like right. that, you know. And certain farms are dangerous. I mean, if you go to a, a giant uh, meat uh, facility and, right. uh, you know, a hog facility in Iowa or something, that's, that's not a place where a human being wants to hang out right, and have right. a drink. Right. So, but farms like ours are the exact opposite of that. You know, they're pleasant, wonderful places where you want to hang out and yeah. and and get a feel for the place and yeah. and you know get your hands dirty a little bit maybe and you yeah. know all of that. 
Yeah, and, and it is it is it's easy to get to you guys. Yeah, and, yeah, and it's a beautiful location. And, stuff. and like you said, it's like fifteen miles, fifteen from, miles from, from Portland. Portland. I mean, it never takes us more than half right. an hour to get to that downtown. You know, so right. that, that's one of the things that Oregon is really good at is is a strong land use system that's kind of pre- protected farmland close to urban centers. So we take advantage of that definitely. Right. Okay. So people want to come check out Open Table. Where do they find you online, and, and where do you find you actually here? So it's our table. Our table. Um, sorry, people sorry. do make that mistake sorry, sorry. because of Open Table. The rest of the reservation system, but um, we um, we have a website uh, www.ourtable.us, and all of the information is over there, and that's probably the best place. We're also, of course, on social media, so if you're a social media type of person, then that's the place to go. I'm Samantha Cole, host of the new season of Understood: The Pornhub Empire. Over the course of four episodes, I'll tell you how a horny YouTube knockoff in Canada came to dominate the porn world, only to shatter their cheeky reputation in a massive scandal. The Pornhub Empire is a new season of Understood from the CBC. Available now wherever you get your podcasts. From Foreign Policy, I'm Rena Nainen, the host of The Hidden Economics of Remarkable Women. Over the past few years, we've looked at how women around the world are changing societal norms to increase their economic power. This season, we're focusing completely on girls, how they're pushing for a brighter, more powerful future, and what the rest of us can do to set them up for success. Join us for stories about girl power, young women who are fighting for change, to give themselves a chance to live a life of their own choosing. That's season six of The Hidden Economics of Remarkable Women, wherever you get your podcasts. Want to know the number one money question I'm asked? It's how to get started investing without being overwhelmed. So if you're asking yourself the same question, then you have to check out the Investing for Beginners podcast. The hosts, Dave and Andrew, they break down investment terms and strategies in a way you can finally understand. I love that they're making investing accessible and they have an entire podcast dedicated to helping you invest better. Even if you're not ready to start investing, they explain the stock market and financial updates so you can really understand what is being said on the news. If you're ready to learn more about investing, I'd recommend you start with two of my favorite episodes. Listener Q&A, how do you start investing with a thousand bucks? Where they explain how you get started right away. And back to basics of building our portfolio, where they explain how to build a portfolio from scratch. The Investing for Beginners podcast is a great way to start expanding your relationship with money. Find Investing for Beginners podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Okay, so we've talked about the amazing food up in Mount Hood territory. We've talked about the beautiful and organic farms up in these parts. And now it's finally time for a beer, don't you think? So next up, and lastly, we continue our conversation with award-winning brewmaster David Bowden from Oregon City Brewing Company, as he gives us a scoop on why Mount Hood territory and Oregon itself is the mecca of craft brewing and probably the best place in the world to brew beer. And how long have you been a, a brewer yourself? Uh, so I think it's been about eight years now, yeah. uh, professionally, for going on six. Mm. Um, yeah. Did a lot of home brewing before that, and then I wouldn't really have called myself the brewer, but my dad was a home brewer growing up, so okay. some early memories of me helping him stir the pot when I was right. a little kid, but I wouldn't necessarily have known what was going on at right. that point. But right. yeah. why, is, why is Oregon such a great craft 
uh, brewing making place? Yeah, well, uh, I think for one, it goes back to the ingredients, raw materials. Uh, we have some of the best water in the world. We get mostly glacial runoff. I understand you were up in Mount Hood area, yeah, so yeah, yeah. a lot of our water is coming down off Mount Hood yeah. into these pristine watersheds. Um, so because we have really great glacial runoff water, we have very low mineral content, mm-hmm. which makes it nice for a brewer to be able to sort of build up the water to be mm-hmm. suitable for any style of beer. Mm-hmm. Um, little known tidbit about beer that I could go on this tangent about <laughs> is how all the historical beer styles were sort of shaped around the water of the area. And so if you have alkaline water in Munich, it goes great with these dark lagers. If you've got um, high sulfate water in the Burton-on-Trent area of England, where the IPA was sort of made famous, mm-hmm. it's great for bitter, crisp, bitter beers. So there's all these different water profiles that are hard to emulate if, say, you're in like the Great Lakes region, and you have just one water profile that you can work with. In Oregon, since it's sort of a blank slate, very low mineral content, mm-hmm. we can build up to be... Right suitable for almost any beer style, which is right. really fun and uh, right. helps the brewers be creative out here. But also the hops are grown in the region, mm. you know, the Yakima Valley and then the Willamette Valley is a little further behind, but they produce a vast majority of the hops in America. Okay. So we've got fresh hops nearby. Barley isn't really heavily grown in Oregon or Washington. It is, but not as much as maybe wheat and then not as much as what happens in like North Dakota or Alberta, Canada. So, um, but we do have access to some of the fresh, you know, best ingredients around. Um, and then I think it's a cultural thing. I think mm-hmm. the, the whole West Coast in general has always been a huge right. proponent of the craft industries. Right. And so beer just got kind of ahead earlier right. and it got bigger earlier. And I think, you know, now almost everyone in America sort of has access to right. good craft brewing. Yeah. Um, but that was just the reality that Oregon's been living in for 30 years instead right. of three. Right. You know, exactly. Just got ahead of the curve. Exactly. You know? yeah. And Oregon City here, too, has kind of ch- has changed, too, right? There's more restaurants and things to do and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Oregon City's history is amazing. Uh, you know, I didn't learn as much about it until I moved down here mm-hmm. and started working here about a year mm-hmm. ago. But um, basically the first city on the West Coast, mm-hmm. first city west of the Rockies, mm-hmm. um, the Oregon Territory at the time encompassed – like all of Northern California, Oregon, Washington, Montana, Idaho, like, right. you know, it's huge. It was a quarter yeah. of the country, essentially. And Oregon City was the capital for the first couple of years. So right. this is like this was the home base right. for most of westward expansion, which is really cool to think about. Um, and early on, the famous brewer Henry Weinhardt had like a storehouse down here. His main Port- Portland brewery is now still like a, you know, historical site in downtown Portland. But he also had some involvement down here. So there's always been kind of a, you know, beer scene. But, you know, post-prohibition, it took a long time to build back any breweries down here and now just in the last 10 years or so we've kind of built back up a craft beer scene and have four operating breweries um but yeah like you said the downtown area is getting revitalized um the big paper mill which was like the major employer is right on willamette falls um there were several paper mills that was one of the main reasons that oregon city became a prominent city is is the willamette falls right there and where the confluence of the clackamas and willamette rivers a lot of hydropower um so uh, the timber and paper mill industry was huge here, and that finally shut down, and they're, they have a long-term plan to sort of renovate that, you know, new retail and condos mm-hmm. right okay, on the waterfront cool. looking over Willamette Falls, which right. is the second largest waterfall in the U.S. after Niagara Falls. Oh, wow. It's a really substantial, right, right. Uh, you know, historical site. So right. uh, that'll be really exciting, and that'll, you know, 
bring a lot of you know growth down yeah. to downtown, which we'll right. probably benefit from. Right. Um, right. And yeah, a lot of people know that Portland is expanding very fast, mm-hmm. and real estate market is getting more right. or less and less affordable, right. I should say. Right. So a lot of people are looking to Oregon City and other yeah. suburbs to you know, right. find their way out. Right, here. and it's because a short drive right into Portland. Yeah, yeah, so, exactly. yeah. So it's a really good spot to sort of set up home base. And right, right. Yeah. So where can people find Oregon City Brewing online and then here as well? Yeah, uh, well, yeah, we have you know online presence, website, social media, yeah. um, and then. We send the beer to probably just a few dozen places for now. Um, the sales, outside sales, are just getting started. We started selling the beer outside only around Thanksgiving of mm-hmm. last year. So, um, yeah, we have a sales guy who goes around and gets our beer into local bars, especially. Mm-hmm. We want to, you know, really yeah. corner the Oregon City market. Um, but then Oregon uh, has tons of craft beer bars um, in the metro area or outside, and we're trying to get in places where, you know, like-minded people are going to get, you know, familiar with the brand. So, right, right. Um, you know. Oh, Bailey's Tap Room or Horse Brass Pub, some of these famous, right, right. you know, 50 tap pubs in town that, that right. just love new craft beer to put on tap. So, right, right. Um, yeah, we're all over there. And then, you know, primarily we sell most of the beer just out of the storefront up here. Right. Well, I think you've made everyone thirsty now. Yeah. Yeah, I'm about <laughs> ready for a beer. Whatever you're saving up for, a CD from Sandy Spring Bank lets you grow your savings at a guaranteed rate. Right now, earn interest at 4.5% APY on an 8-month CD special or 4.25% APY on a 14-month CD special. Learn more at sandyspringbank.com slash cdspecials. Minimum opening deposit to earn the annual percentage yield is $500 for the 8-month CD special and $2,500 for the 14-month CD special. Member FDIC.